All right, we're started. So, Shira, I have a question for you. Sure. If aliens were to visit Earth, and the only thing they knew about us was our taste in the other person's genre, what, what do you think they might think about that? Ooh. I think that it would be clear to them that I'm female and you're male. Uh, I, I feel like as far as the types of movies, as far as like whose point of view, who the protagonist is, I, I feel like Just Friends is the guy rom-com uh, along with, you know, all those Judd Apatow movies. Right. Uh, and then May is very twee, very if a manic pixie dream girl was a serial killer. Yeah, manic manic goth dream girl. <laughs> Something like that. But it's like, you know, you may think that your little manic pixie dream girl is just into the Smiths until you find out that she wants to turn you into a doll for her <laughs> Etsy store. Yeah, um, I don't know. Both movies are about friendship. I was going to say friendship. I think that if the uh, if the aliens only saw these two movies, they would they would probably run away any time a human said that they wanted to be their friend. Yeah. Like if I were an alien and I only knew these two movies. And I met a person and they're like, I want to be your friend. I'd be like, oh my God, no, they're going to become obsessed with me and try to kill me. I got to get out of there. And it's the same with both movies. Yeah. Nobody who wants to be friends with you has your best interest in mind in these movies. Yeah. Uh, friendship is key to both movies, but the characters are not good at it. <laughs> I think that's because real friendship is about honesty. Oh. Oh. And honestly, shouldn't we get on with the show? Uh. Let's do it. Bing, bam, boom. This is Necromancer. Necromancer. My name is Shira, and I'm addicted to rom-coms. You know, the first step is admitting you have a problem. My name is Brett, and I have a very healthy relationship with horror movies. <laughs> Usually, every week, I pick a rom-com, and Brett picks a horror movie, and then we make each other watch those movies and flip-flop them around in the opposite genre. We resurrect the rom-com as a horror movie, and then we doctor up that horror movie and turn it into a lovable, fluffy rom-com. But this week, we're doing something a little bit different. That's right. Uh, happy one-year anniversary. Oh, wow. It's already been one year with Necromancer. I'm excited for uh, the things we have to come. You know, this this first year of Necromancer was just like the first year of a baby's life. 
we took some stumbles and some falls, but you know, like we're gaining momentum and we're learning a lot about ourselves, including what each of us likes of our own genres. Now I am a rom-com fan, but you know, I also do like some horror movies. Uh, And so this week I actually picked a horror movie and Brett, you picked a rom-com. I was so excited. I've been waiting for this ever since we started. I have too. I, I, I find it, it's fun to now discuss, okay, coming at the two sides of, or coming at movies from our unique perspectives as we do to then take that again and really say like, okay, well, what is it that I do like about a horror movie? And what is it that you do like about a rom-com? I think I, you know what, I want to start there. So normally, of course, you're a horror fan, but what is a perfect Brett rom-com? Oh, I, I guess it would be, it would probably be a movie that doesn't really take itself too seriously. Uh and probably also a movie that's just wacky characters making strong choices in silly scenarios. Like, I think that would probably be the best rom-com ingredient for me. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I like... I I like the sitcom type formula. I like seeing characters in crazy situations have to deal with it. And then having a a specific gimmick to your character or a a trait, you know, makes it interesting to go like, this isn't how I would approach a woman and ask her on a date, but this is how this character would. And, you know, it's just fun. I think your pick of just friends makes a lot of sense in that context. I'm especially thinking of, you know, the, what is it? Jamie, the female protagonist dad has his Christmas display and that's his character trait is that he's obsessed with his Christmas display. And it's just, you know, it's set up so perfectly in a sitcom way to of course, destroy the one thing this person, this character loves. Yeah, easy, easy setup, easy slam dunk, just chaos of explosions in a in a sweet little rom com. Um, yeah, how about um, how about you? In terms of what I look for in a horror movie, you know, just like a rom com, I like movies about relationships. So the mm-hmm. idea of this movie about somebody who just desperately wants to make connections and friends, um, that is always something that's really appealing to me, whether it's a romantic comedy or it's a horror movie. And then I really enjoy things that are just weird, like mm-hmm. actually weird in the way that May is weird, not yeah. weird in the way that normal people think is weird, which is, you know, I think the funniest part of May is that people say they like weird. And I understand that people say they like weird, but then they're not prepared 
for me to show them the weird things that I'm actually into. Like, you know, it's just, I mean, I feel like Army Hammer, I'm sure, relates to May a lot right now. (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, so I, I enjoy things that are weird, that are out there, that are here to make you uncomfortable. Like I think about, um, I really like Tim and Eric and the Tim and Eric billion dollar movie. And there's a a scene where a bunch of people just shit into a bathtub while one of the characters is in it. So for me, I, I do really enjoy movies that push my limitations for what I'm comfortable with. I think that's why I really like things like Clive Barker and Mm -hmm. Hellraiser too, because it's not just about the horror of stabby, stabby, scream, scream, but, oh, this woman has a vagina throat or that guy's got a bunch of pins in his face or, this lady talks to her weird doll. I those kind of details to me are so delicious in a horror movie. So I I want things to be aesthetically strong choices. I think that Italian horror movies are really good at that too, yeah. adding details that are really peculiar like um I think in Deep Red sort of spoiler spoilery but the killers in the painting, um, I, I find details like that to be interesting and, and hilarious. Or, you know, in The Shining, when he walks in on those people in fursuits, giving each other a blowjob. Like, it, like anything that goes past the realm of normal, to me, it, is fascinating. Uh, so I, I enjoy that in a horror movie. And then, yeah, anything having to do with relationships, like, I think Hellraiser has strong relationship elements. Another favorite of mine, Frailty, is all about fathers and sons. Um, so that kind of stuff really appeals to me. And and then anybody who's ever listened to this podcast knows that I have a very strong th- affinity for thrillers and noirs, uh, which again has to always has a, a strong relationship element and strong on character development as the as the plot rather than so-and-so has to escape this killer. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess character and plot is fine in a movie. <laughs> if that's what you want. Um, but sometimes I, you just want the stabby stabby. Right. 20 years ago, I probably would have said, yeah, just give me the stabby stabby. But <laughs> since, since we had uh right Sulik on and, and I was forced to watch Jason takes Manhattan <laughs> the, the the only one of that franchise I hadn't seen that I'd managed to stay away from. Yeah, I don't know if just stabby stabby's good enough anymore. I, I I hear you. I need some I need some character. I need some relationships. I need yeah. Wait, Jason I think take I- Jason takes Manhattan had a lot <laughs> of character development. Jason turned into a fresh young little boy at the end. Right. Um, now I would Jason takes Manhattan is more of a rom-com because it's well-defined <laughs> characters in wacky situations. It's a uh, right. Definitely convinced yeah. me of that. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought that pitch was, was really good. Um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I agree. Characters and plot are very important in a movie. <laughs> I think, oh, that's, I think, uh, Even Halloween. If 
I do want to make it clear. I do like characters in plot, even when they make incredibly stupid choices. Like I talked right. about Tim and Eric and, you know, the aforementioned bunch of people shitting into a bathtub. It's like, it's completely stupid. I, yeah. I, I can definitely tolerate characters making incredibly stupid choices if they're entertaining. Oh yeah. Hot Rod for sure. Give me, oh, give me those all that. day. Stunts forever. Um, but also Halloween. I think Halloween definitely, that's probably what I think one of the reasons why I think Halloween is a fascinating horror movie is because you see the relationship, the friendship between those three high school girls. And like, as a high school boy, I was just like, holy crap, these girls are cute and funny. And, and like, I'm just hanging out with these girls and I don't have to like, you know, worry about how I'm interacting with them. So it's like, yeah, these girls are freaking great. Jamie Lee Curtis, who doesn't love Jamie Lee? Oh shit. Now they're starting to get murdered. Oh boy. I do love Jamie Lee. However, I'm going to have to disagree. I know that you feel that way about Halloween, but I definitely don't. Clearly, Halloween is all about the stabby stabby with Michael Myers. What you described, that's how I feel about The Craft, another She-Ra okay. horror movie. I think the friendships and how they are communicated in Halloween are great. I think that's, you know, that's what Deborah Hill the brought craft, to the movie. The Craft right? does, The Craft and Black Christmas, both of those movies do way more to no, build not Black female. Christmas. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess you're right about that. But but definitely, I would say what you described, like, I would describe the craft that way, where it's about female friendships, and then the horror is one of the friends going rogue and them having to defeat her. It's Whoa. it's very much like that's the female friendship horror movie that Whoa. appeals to me. Okay. I think... I think what I described in Halloween still stands, but yeah, it's a, it's a smaller ingredient of the, of the cake. It's a, it's, it's more of a topping than the actual cake itself. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I agree. But that's one of the reasons why it makes such a good horror movie is because you care about the characters. That's all that really matters. If you care about the characters, you don't want to see them die. And then there's, for some of us, there's that swick, there's that sick twisted part. That's like, no man, just bring on the bloodshed. I mean, it depends. I, I I would make a strong argument for the reason why I enjoy Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and when we did Ch- Texas Chainsaw Two, is because it checks my weird button. Everybody is making such weird choices and doing such weird things in those movies, and then the aesthetics of it are are really pleasing, like the whole room filled with bones or. Mm-hmm. Leatherface's tiny saw. It just, of course, I want to see Grandpa bite her finger. It just, you know, yeah. I, I, I love stuff like that. Even though, I mean, I would say none of the the characters who are the leads or the protagonists are strong in terms of who they are. No, not for that movie. But yeah, I think that movie makes up for the 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 character development in that regard by having a wacky ass movie. <laughs> like, Indeed. yeah, it's always, I mean, a, it's always a balancing act. You got to find that sweet, sweet balance. I would say that if there's, there's something to say that we share in common with the two movies we chose is number one, we both clearly love Anna Ferris. 
clearly Anna Ferris is precious and we must protect her at all costs. Uh, and I, I think both of us like, like some wackiness in our movie. I think both of these movies have some high camp moments. Yeah. Yeah. So which one would you like to do first? Uh, I can, I honestly can go either way. I don't know. Same here. I don't, I don't know where I want to go first. Um, why don't we just, let's, let's start with just friends. That sounds like a good idea. All right. So tell me about your history with Just Friends. Why why this movie for you? Oh, I freaking love this movie. <laughs> uh, I really do. I, I think I was working at Blockbuster at the time. And so it was just a movie that I was like, all right, yeah, sure. Ryan Reynolds is in a rom-com, but it's like supposed to be silly. I can, I can watch that for free. And then at the... I, I was going to look this up. So Just Friends came out in 2005 and that's about mm-hmm. the same time that like 40 year old virgin and wedding crashers and stuff was coming out. A lot of bromedies came out at that time. Yeah. And I, I'm not really a huge bromcoms f- fan of those movies. Like wedding crashers was like, yeah, all right. Um, uh, Judd Apatow movies, even though I think Judd Apatow is a very smart and funny guy, just, his movies don't strike me the same that they do everyone else. So this movie was like an underdog for me. It came out of nowhere, and it was like, holy crap, this movie's just so silly. This movie's so incredibly silly, and I could relate to so much of the movie in terms of brotherhood and... Yeah, slap fights. <laughs> yeah. And just... Yeah, I thought, and Anna Ferris was hilarious in the movie. The whole, you know, having the Dinkleman. Uh, me and my brother still say that all the time. Like, we quote this movie to each other or reference it all the time. It's such a, I feel like this movie could be infinitely more memeable. Like, if this movie had the same kind of meme power as, I don't know, maybe not Mean Girls. Mean Girls is, is like... Yeah, mean, meme, mean, but. Uh, yeah, Mean Girls, the number of memes you get out of that movie is pretty incredible. Yeah, but I think this is a very meme movie. It's a very silly movie. It's a movie that that I could go back to every once in a while and just have a fantastic time with. I, I yeah. I feel like they did good casting on this movie. Yeah. Uh, the the woman they got to be Ryan Reynolds' mom in the movie was yeah, fantastic. Yeah, Julie Haggerty. Yeah, Julie Haggerty is a great comedic actress. You know, the Anna Ferris of her day. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, her Anna Ferris. You know, I feel like Amy Smart is like a she's like a Scotty Pippen. Where, you know, she's not the Michael Jordan, but she, in the early 2000s, she was playing the sort of romantic object roles. I I feel like she was that in this. She was in that movie Road Trip where Mm -hmm. she was the girl, but she's been the girl in a lot of movies. So, I mean, not really a role, that like kind of a thankless task, honestly, being 
her character, but she she does it she does it fine. Yeah, she's more um, like the straight man in this. Yeah, she's she has to play it one hundred percent straight. Um, yeah, and they they built out the the little like they, the world building that they did in this romantic comedy was pretty good. But yeah, it's also very broy and very built around just giant slapstick set pieces. But I, I mean, I feel like Ryan Reynolds' character gets everything he deserves. Yeah. I also agree with that. I don't like movie. I usually don't like movies like this where a character. Me either. I hate Meet the Parents, for example. I feel like they're kind of related where the amount of punishment that Ben Stiller goes through in Meet the Parents is more than what I think his character deserves, at least the way he's presented. Uh, and it's like, I don't know if I can take watching somebody get punished for over an hour like this. Um, but here, Ryan Reynolds plays himself like such a jackass, which he's so good at. You just you don't feel sorry for him ever. No, not ever. It's so yeah, I think this movie does a great job of dishing out the pain and letting you actually enjoy it. Um Whereas, yeah, uh, Meet the Parents is a good example. But yeah, other movies where the character just like gets in all these crazy situations or. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's trickier to pull off than people give it credit for. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, let's let's get into it. So we begin senior year of high school, 1995. Right off the bat, we've got him singing I Swear from Boys to Men in the Mirror. Um, He's got this huge secret crush on his classmate and his best friend, Jamie Palomino. He writes out his feelings to Jamie in her yearbook. Uh, and then he's going to go return the yearbook to her at a graduation party. But his yearbook that he's returning gets swapped out with her ex-boyfriend, Tim's. And then Tim reads Chris's declaration to Jamie out loud to the class and makes fun of him. Um, and it's just humiliating. Uh, Jamie... Uh, does not understand at all that Chris wants to be more than friends. Uh, So she just gives him a kiss on the cheek. And then he bails from the party, basically vowing to become successful and better than everyone else. Yeah. Uh, And then 10 years later, Chris has transformed into Ryan Reynolds. Uh, and now he lives in LA. He is, I guess he is a record producer. Uh, and then his, uh, boss played by, uh, Steven Root. He's funny. He's yeah. hilarious. Uh, he wants Chris to go and handle this, uh, I guess she's supposed to be like Britney Spears, but this pop star named Samantha James, who Chris had gone out with before, but he, I guess he ended up in the hospital afterwards. Um, But he goes to see her and I just, the entrance like of her character, I really loved it. Uh, (laughs) Every 
every character choice that Anna Ferris makes as Samantha James is so great. She just completely throws herself into it and goes big. Like I could imagine that you wouldn't have had to tell Anna Ferris to like, Oh, go bigger with this. Like if anything, they'd have to come in and be like, okay, not that crazy. Yeah. Um, I like, then, I like, oh, silly like this where clearly this woman is insane and Ryan Reynolds has the normal reaction to everything she does, but the whole rest of the world in this movie loves her or thinks she's normal. Or, I love that poster of her. Yeah. Well, and, they don't care that she's nor- not normal. Right. But they, but they accept her behavior as kind of normal, even though it's not, or they just accept her as crazy. Uh, whereas Ryan Reynolds is the only person who, who is sane when it comes to her. <laughs> yes. So she sings her song forgiveness to him. <laughs> I, I, I really, I really like her fake songs. Uh, I thought that those were a nice comedic touch for this movie. Um, but she heats up some ahi tuna inside the foil in a microwave and it sets the plane on fire. So they have to emergency land in New Jersey, which, well, they're really near Chris's hometown. So Chris decides to go home for the first time in 10 years. Uh, he takes Samantha there um, he goes back to his room. He has these nostalgic moments. Um, and then, uh, Mike, I liked, uh, his whole interaction with his younger brother, uh, and getting him to handle Samantha while he, uh, goes out and about. So he goes to the local bar. He meets some of his old best friends, Clark and Darla. Darla. <laughs> Darla. <laughs> Ooh, Darla. <laughs> Again, the way that Anna Ferris says every single line, she is perfect. That um, callback to Darla later when we cut to the end of the movie back in uh, LA. And she's just like pinned down by him and she's like, Oh, you're into girls? Me too. Darla. <laughs> such a great yeah because it's yeah it's all line delivery like she she calls back to a line delivery just snaps right back in it i mean i i know how much you like this movie but i'm gonna just say it right now i think that anna ferris carried this movie on her bare shoulders and she made every single moment that she was in a hundred times funnier uh, I she's, don't she's just my disagree, favorite. but I do I do like this movie. I, I do I do like it more probably. Mm-hmm. So he sees Jamie. She's working as a bartender. Of course, the pretty girl from high school never moved away, and she works at the bar and blah blah blah. She wants to become a teacher. Um, so Chris decides right then and there that he is going to get revenge, uh, for his high school resentments by seducing Jamie. Um, but, uh, of 
course, it's not going to go according to plan. Um, so basically, Chris keeps trying to go out with Jamie, but he keeps fucking up all of his player rules, like never going out during the day uh, and, you know, making himself look cool, trying to impress her with the cars he's driving. Uh, they go out to this diner uh, and the waitress tries to feed him his chubby bunny fat pancake meal and he freaks out about it um i i really liked uh, i really liked the the scene where um i think this is before the ice skating scene but he tries to give her a kiss goodbye and then ends up like holding her and shaking her which of course is super awkward um, but then he goes back to the car and has a mini freak out and she had to get her jacket. So she witnessed him freaking out. I think that that, that was right around this part of the movie. I like that sequence a lot. And I've actually been in Chris's position before where <laughs> I thought I'd gone back to the car after I totally fucked up and like missed my chance or whatever with this guy. Um, and then I was in my car being all like, stupid, stupid, stupid. Uh, and then he, he saw me. Uh, and yeah, I, I completely Aww. understand the shame and embarrassment of a moment like that. No, yeah. I think it's sweet little moments like that, that make this, uh, I think the fact that this just blows past most of the rom-com stuff is just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you like, that's background, you know, like, it's almost like a... I don't know. It's spoof isn't the right word, but it just, it's like, yeah, we, we're going to give you just the most vanilla rom-com plot so that we can get all these silly characters in these silly situations. But the actual romance, we're going to condense it down into just these few little moments that, that really work or don't right. work. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that a good way to, and the movie handles this pretty well is, Rather than just taking that vanilla rom-com plot and playing it straight, they confront every one of the obstacles right then and there. Like as soon as he makes the plan to seduce Jamie, he immediately runs into conflicts and he's immediately challenged in the way that he has to think about this. So he immediately has to change his gears again. So it it becomes this cartoon where it's like, Oh, she doesn't want a player. Well, then I'll be a nice guy. Well, she doesn't want to be a nice guy. Well, then I'll be this guy. And then like, Oh, well, you know, like it, Rather than staying in one state and then delaying the the change until the third act, they just give us a bunch of episodes, which for this movie being more sitcom-y, I think it, it works. Um, so uh, day date goes wrong. They then go uh, ice skating. Chris... Uh, who has been practicing ice skating for the last 10 years because he sucked at it before, has to take rental skates, so he still sucks at it. Uh, and then he plays hockey against children. And, and he's I been am- playing hockey. He hasn't just been ice skating. Oh, that's he's been right. Playing he's playing hockey this he's whole He's been time. actually playing hockey. 
Uh, and you're, you're a hockey guy. You like, you, is that something that you did back in the East coast in the, the great white North playing hockey on the lake? Or is this just a fantasy made up by the movie? People, nah. do people do this? Uh, yeah, I'm sure people do it. Uh, oh yeah. But no, I never did. I, I was never good at ice skating. I, I never played hockey. I like watching it, but I'm, I've never played it. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but he, uh, I like the moment when he decides to beat up all these kids because he's frustrated. Straight up punches one right in the head. He, he tackles one. He pushes him over. He, he abuses several kids before trying to go for a slap shot. Uh, and which is also cruel if it had like hit the kid. Right. In the <laughs> would have been insane. all of his bad decisions come back to bite him in the butt i love i love this scene because yeah on the one hand you do feel you do empathize or simply whichever is the right word for this situation you can empathize or sympathize with this guy who is who who likes someone and has a chance to just kind of like be himself in a way around them and just go like, yeah, we're just going to go skate and I can, I can like be in my element. It's not about impressing her with his skating skills. It's just about being comfortable with someone doing something that you're good at. But then his skates are really crappy. And the fact that the skates are really crappy leads to all of this punishment. But at this point in the movie, you're very natural. Right, but at this point in the movie, you're like, well, uh, that's a little bit of karma, buddy. You're kind of, you kind of deserved all of this. You, uh... well, yeah, he he abused a bunch of children, and then he tried to <laughs> hit a slap shot goal at a child, and then of course it bounces off the rim of the goal and hits him in the face and ruins his perfect veneers, which honestly made him look like the Joker anyways, so I ain't mad at it. But in the ambulance, uh, Jamie is reunited with the other incel who had a crush on her, Dusty Dinkelman, played by Chris Klein, who I think is a real specialist when it comes to playing sensitive jocks. He was the sensitive jock in Election and American Beauty, and here he was the sensitive nerd turned sensitive jock. Uh, and I, you know, perfect, perfect use of of him. Yeah, this is easily his his best role. I I agree because he got to lampshade what he's known for right. and then in the third act reveal that he's just a total piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, even and, just the introduction of Dinkelman and how like heroic he looks. Yeah, just how heroic he looks in comparison and cuz his character was so 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 small. I mean, he only had a minute of screen time up until Oh now. yeah, he was in he was in the before the time jump because yeah. he tried to tell Jamie her <laughs> when then, Jamie smiles. when Jamie smiles song is also uh, really good. The fake songs in this movie, the forgiveness yeah. song, when Jamie smiles, they feel very like proto crazy ex girlfriend to me. Like right. if I found out that one of the the joke songwriters of Crazy X wrote the songs for this movie, I'd be like, I knew it. Uh, because they're just such great touches. Yeah. And then just Ryan Reynolds being dropped from the the 
the gurney thing and launching back onto the ice and very campy. It's just a nice little, it's like, um, 10 things I hate about you. Every scene has a nice little button at the beginning and end to kind of give it a comedic flow. Like when that guy's bike falls apart. Yeah. Or they're playing golf and one of them gets hit with a golf ball or. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's just little, little touches like that. Well, yeah, I think it's stuff like that that makes the world feel just more lived in right? Um, than just about – because if it was just about Chris and Jamie, it would be so boring. Yeah. Um, but they make it about all the little characters within their world. And they even bring back Tim, the ex-boyfriend, as this, like, gross um, bald guy. Um, so it's, it's, it's perfect. Um, so anyway, let's see. Um, all right. Um, next night, Chris, he goes over to Jamie's place for a Christmas party. And of course, Dusty is already there and he is serenading Jamie with when Jamie smiles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then, so Chris leaves um, and then when he gets back to his place, um, uh, wait, no, Samantha, oh, oh, Samantha goes to Jamie's house when Chris is over there dealing with all of this. And then of course, Samantha being Samantha, she completely destroys the place because uh, Jamie's dad is super into his Christmas decorations. But of course, uh, Samantha has to come accuse Jamie of being a whore. (laughs) Uh, And then a piece of the Christmas lighting uh, gets attached to the car. It rips off and then causes the entire Christmas display to go up in flames. Yeah. And just, again, the little touches of, like, Ryan Reynolds grabbing that one old lady by the ankle and, like, <laughs> swooping oh, yeah, her down so she her, get- To stop her from getting yeah. killed. <laughs> uh, I, I enjoyed that, that too. <laughs> so it, it still, for some reason, ends up being okay for Chris because Jamie comes over and they spend the night reminiscing and then she gets into bed with him and nothing happens. Uh, have you ever slept in a bed with a girl platonically? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm struggling to think of the scenario off the top of my head, but I would say, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I had to have. Yeah, no, I have a, I have a few times, but yeah, I can't imagine how awkward it would be in that situation where it's like. They've both basically consented at this point, but neither of them is really making the move. Um, Again, I feel like whether it's unrequited love or being an incel or being just friends, you owe it to yourselves and other people to just be honest yeah. And, you know, that that ultimately it's a very simple lesson to learn. And it's, you know, it's not anything other movies haven't, you know, written before. But I feel like this movie makes it very clear that it's just, you know, it's clearly where we're going. 
Um, but yeah, anyways, now the next day, Jamie's like, hey, Darla, it didn't happen. And we get this kind of split where Jamie's talking to Darla while, while Chris is talking to Clark. Um, and they're talking about their whole confusing history. And it seems pretty clear that Jamie is into Chris. Um, but then, um, Clark and, um, Chris run into Dusty singing a version of when Jamie smiles, but for this sexy nurse replacing Jamie with the nurse's name. It's very much like in Pillow Talk when, uh, when Rock Hudson has that same song that he sings to every girl. Right. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Dinkleman got the idea from pillow talk. Dinkleman. Uh, Dinkleman. Yeah. I did think about that this time around. Oh, you see all of these rom-coms you've watched. It's, it's changing you. Yeah. For the better. (laughs) I know you watched bride wars without anybody telling you to. I'm, I'm still impressed by that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Dusty, turns out Dusty is not a nice guy. He's a nice guy TM, which means that he's an asshole who believes women owe him sex for being nice, nice to them. Um, well, and also, the, like, the, this is great because, yeah, Ryan Reynolds is a jackass and he wants to sleep with with Amy Smart, like, or he wants to sleep with Amy. They had a real friendship. They had a real, they they had a real thing and they really do like each other. So yeah, even though there's the awkward moments, like they could just be honest in bed with each other and just say like, you know, check in with each other. And like you said, they've already consented at that point. Like it, you know, he wants to fuck Chris. Like it's clear, but for, for Chris, it's not about the revenge. Fuck. It's not about just, putting her on his uh, like a notch on his belt like you know he really does like her which is why he's constantly screwing all this up because you know it's he's not being honest but when dinkleman turns and he goes full heel oh my god dinkleman turn so, so is very 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 good and very good for chris klein i can right. see him enjoying this very much um so then chris chris wants to warn jamie about dinkleman um but jamie doesn't want to listen chris gets drunk um and then um it turns on into this whole fight where um chris says some really insulting things to her which i mean I already wanted to dump him for interrupting their lunch by saying this is the coast or whatever. Like when he mm-hmm. gets the phone call, it was like, ugh, like ugh, God, awful. That, that was a, that was a dumpable offense. But then to go to the place that she works and insult her. No, no, no. Um, but then Dusty is convinced that he and Jamie are going to have sex, but then Jamie's like, no, we're just friends. And then (laughs) Dusty gets mad at her for, uh, friend zoning him. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I'm out. Um, 
Does but he then, like, dip his finger in someone else's drink, or he takes a drink and he gives the devil sign, and he's like, bleh, 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 bleh. like yeah, I love that he never gets his comeuppance because like he hasn't really done anything. Like yeah, he's a scumbag and he he's trying to trick her and sleep, but like he's a cartoon character and he's just like you know what I'm gonna go on being the devil. Bleh, 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 bleh. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he just. He, he completely gets away with it. but and, and I mean, why not? Why not, Dinkleman? Dinkleman. We all know um, Dinkleman. But, but yeah, he, he pieces out. Jamie had enough with Chris. She punches him. He gets thrown out of the bar. He goes back to L.A. He runs into Samantha again. And having dealt with her and her incel nature, he decides that he needs to make things right goes back to new jersey kisses jamie they're together and then we end the movie on these three kids where the cycle begins anew another girl and boy are just friends i mean i i felt like the end was kind of corny yeah like we could have could have just ended on Jamie and Chris, but I, I feel like the movie, it, it, it's exactly the kind of movie to be like, and then the cycle continues because that's yeah. how it always is. Um, one of the things I really like about this movie is that when the love interests split up, the time it takes for them to get back in the groveling scene is so short and the groveling scene is so pretty just like generic, but again, it's only like a few lines. I like the movies that just blast through that. I don't like the movies like Notting Hill or there's, I I can't remember one, one, but I don't like the movies that really draw it out to make the comeback, to make them reuniting so much bigger and more epic. But like when a movie goes out of its way to do that, like it just drives me nuts. No, this movie doesn't do that at all. It's just like what I was saying earlier. Like every time you come up to the conflict that you could stretch out over the entire movie, they pass that conflict and change the game again. So by the end of the movie, you've gone through so many conflicts and then it's like, why waste any time getting back to New Jersey and reunite them? Yeah. He makes an ass of himself. He gets punched. He goes to LA. We get one more little Anna Ferris scene because we love Anna Ferris. And then we go to the end of the movie. That's it. The end. I, I think that was, that was a good way to end it. I I would say that my final statement on this movie is that there is no friend zone. There are just people who don't understand boundaries and don't speak for themselves. Yeah, I would say I've probably been in the friend zone a bunch, but the friend zone is a completely pretty much made up male thing. It's uh there is no friend zone. I think, uh, yeah, I think that a lot of people who use the word friend zone, uh, probably don't really realize what it is. That's the problem with. If you're using the, the word, word friend zone, she's probably not your friend. Right. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, I think the whole friend zone concept is really dumb, which is probably why I didn't care to see this movie at all. 
but it won you over regardless. Yeah, but because I was at Blockbuster, because I was like, yeah, sure, it's a popular movie. It's got Ryan Reynolds. It's free. I can talk to customers about it, whatever. And then I watched it with my brother, and it was just like, holy crap, all of these silly characters are having such a great time. I think uh, I did end up buying the movie later, and it it had a special feature on it that wasn't bloopers what? and it wasn't outtakes. And I tried to find my copy of the DVD. I looked was it all an alternate ending. No, not an alternate ending. What it was. And I looked for it online. I couldn't find it. What it was, was like, I think it was a Jamie smiles music video. Oh or, my or God. It was a nice I want to see video. that. I remember. I want to see either one, either but, a Samantha James video or a When Jamie Smiles video. Either way, I can't remember what the song was, but it was just, it was like every time you could tell, every time they were at a location or with a group of people, like they filmed a little chunk of music video for fun for, at every scene. And then at the end of the movie, on the DVD special features, you get this fun little special where it's like i would say that behind the scenes featurette special thing was one of the huge reasons why i loved the movie um because it's clear that these are just funny people having a fun time sometimes you get like you know like wedding crashers to me almost feels more like we have to be on. We have to be funny. We have to prove to everyone that this is a funny joke movie. Joke after joke after joke. Right. But this movie was just like, no, let's just take, let's let's just trust the formula of the rom-com and just have fun. Like, we don't need to outdo it. This movie doesn't try to outdo anything. It's not trying to be, like, too smart for its own good. It's like, no, we're just going to do what a rom-com does, but we're just going to be super silly about it. And that, you know, that means that the the romance parts are going to be a little bit light, but the comedy parts are going to be really heavy. And yeah, I like the movie. So but yeah, the, the friend zone, uh, not a, not a thing. Question. Yeah. Who would you kill from just friends? Dinkleman. Even though, you know, I like to keep the characters. I wouldn't kill Dinkleman at all. I would save him. He's hilarious. No, no, no. He's got to go. Dinkleman, Newman, all the other mins. Uh, Yeah, Dinkleman. I got to do it. How about you? Uh, I probably would kill Tim, the ex-boyfriend, just because any time I see people publicly shamed, even if it's just a fiction, it makes me feel so heartbroken on their behalf. Like, yeah. to see someone publicly embarrassed just makes me want to protect them. So Tim's got to go. Got to go. Oh, and the other thing is, the the one thing I really, really, really resonated with last thing is when the two brothers are talking and, and the younger one says like, oh, that's because that's cause the only girl that loved you then was mom. And then mom was like, and I still love both of you very much and kisses them both on the cheek. Julie um, Haggerty is so perfect. <laughs> I can relate to that. So I could just imagine me and my brother making fun of each other and then mentioning like my mom and my mom being like, I'm just so proud of both of you. <laughs> <laughs> 
I like that about Mrs. Dorman. Yeah. That sounds adorable. <laughs> so that was great. Um, yeah. So how did you uh, how did you fare turning this into a horror movie? You know, the creative juices were not exactly flowing this week, um, but I did the best that I could. And, you know, I took a page out of the Wright Sulik book and I made actually both my remixes sequels. Okay. So each of my movies begin right when the movies we watched end. So my horror end? Like, literally right after they end. Both of them. Impressive. Double whammy. What about you? How was turning this into a horror movie, since this is a movie you really enjoy? Was it easy? Slam dunk? No. I spent a lot of time on this. And I spent a lot of time on it. But I also was like... You tinkered. I I also thought, you know, I didn't want to do a... Like, I didn't want to do a thriller type stalkery type thing right because i was like i want to i want to make this a brett movie i want to go wacky i want to go crazy um so i i I set up a few hurdles for myself to clear and because of that i was like "Eh, this is i'm gonna have to try to you know shove us a square peg into a round hole a bit but I, i liked it this this was this was a lot harder but more fun than the may one right i I had a i had a lot of trouble with may too as well i well i mean i had trouble with both of these and mine is not going to be detailed at all um but i also had had a little fun with both of them and i i managed to to make myself teehee um a little bit um but yeah i i really uh i i really i was really going for the low-hanging fruit this time (laughs) uh how about i'll I'll go first on this one because i i think we should serve the we should serve the better one uh last since uh you worked on yours a little longer um so again low-hanging fruit i called my movie uh just incels (laughs) sure um but uh after the end of just friends uh jamie goes to borrow chris's computer to check her email uh and accidentally maximizes a closed uh browser window on chris's computer and it turns out that chris is the moderator of an extremely misogynistic incel message board uh, and he has documented the entire experience with Jamie online down to beating the other incel, Dusty, when he attempted to go after Jamie. So she's totally disgusted. She leaves the house and then she runs into Samantha James, who's, of course, followed Chris from, mm-hmm. New Jer- from back to New Jersey. And she's, of course, an incel, too. Uh, and she chases Jamie into the woods trying to kill her. Uh, Jamie falls off a cliff and wakes up in a ranger station being cared for by a medic and swears that she's going to get revenge on all of the incels that use and abuse honest people for their own narcissism. 
So we have a time jump three years later. All right. All right. All right. All right. Jamie is running a secret organization of people whose sole purpose is to kill violent and misogynistic incels. Uh, And the squad will say that they locate Dusty and they kill him um, inside a bar after he tries to pressure a girl into sex because he's so nice. Um, And then meanwhile, Chris thinks that Jamie has died and he and Samantha are together now, even though he's, you know, not that into it. Uh, And he gets the news that Dusty was found murdered and he feels compelled to investigate. So he goes onto his message board and he finds that members are talking about Dusty and murders with similar MOs. Like the incels know that someone is coming after their ranks. Right. You know, they're, they're getting paranoid. Um, and then maybe there can be some more cool incel deaths, you know, just a, a lot of stuff. Like, I don't know, maybe one of the incels gets stabbed by his waifu body pillow. Um, just there's, there's a lot of things you could do, but I, I didn't think of any of those things. So fast forward to one night, Samantha freaks out on Chris because he turns down sex um, she leaves the apartment and then tries to go pick someone up, but it turns out that they're part of the organization. And then they tell Samantha, no means no. Uh, and they, they finish her. Um, so finally, let's say that we, more actions ensue and Jamie and Chris are facing off on a rooftop, life or death, um, she tells him he never loved her. He tries to persuade her that she thought that she could never love him. Like, you know, it's all confusing. Um, and then um, maybe he tells her that if you still don't believe me, you can shoot me here right now. And because Jamie is a cold hardened criminal by this point, she does it. Um, but then later, Jamie in a mirror of the first scene of the movie goes to his laptop and looks on his laptop again and finds that Chris wrote this really long moving post denouncing being an incel, condemning it, and then apologizing for all the damage he caused. And she breaks down after realizing that Chris had been telling the truth and wanted to atone. Aww. The end. That's a sad movie. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I feel like there has to be some kind of tragic ending, right? Yeah, yeah. No, this relationship. That, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> Missed this opportunities. Is- I'm also reading... Um, a, I'm reading an, a Game of Thrones-style epic comic where every third act has missed opportunities and people dying. So maybe that's probably what influenced me. Gotcha. But no, yeah, this is probably like the the logical conclusion of this movie, <laughs> of what Just Friends is. He a very a unhealthy relationship. But he still had to go. He had to. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Brian Reynolds. Get him out of here. All right. Well, let's hear it. I'm excited to hear yours. Me too, because it's been a while since I I looked this over. Um, I called mine Thou Shall Not, but I think I used that as a title before. 
You're into commandments, huh? Yes, exactly. So I don't know why I set it up this way. This was not part of, this was not one of the hurdles that I, that I came up with for myself, but I did decide I wanted to have the 10 commandments be a part of it for some reason. I did want to have religion be kind of a part of it. And I, I, um, I, I really wanted to work on the sort of, but therefore style of storytelling, where if, if you're telling a story, this is kind of from, um, Matt Stone and Trey Parker. Uh, If you're telling a story, you should be using the words, but then, or therefore, when you're talking about characters and actions, instead of, and then, because if you're telling a story that's, and then you're just kind of listing a series of events. You're not really have, you don't have a plot. Right. But implies things aren't going according to plan. Yeah. So I'm just going to have a whole bunch of buts and therefores and I'm going to, I'm going to leave. I like buts. I'm, yeah, I like buts. Um, so it, we're going to just start up with an upstyle montage, right? Of like two young kids born in feudal Europe. I'm going, I'm doing a time jump back to medieval, medieval. Oh, time. whoa. So not 1995. Not but 1995, like. 1095. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just two kids born, raised together, including a religious element, you know, communion and, and all that stuff. Uh, and then, so, you know, we end with them like 18 ish years old, but then the crusades happen. (laughs) So 10 years later, we get like a 10 year time jump, just like in just friends. And so now we've got. Uh, now we've got the commandment. So the first commandment is don't covet. Well, I, I didn't really write out the full commandments, so I don't know what the actual wording is, but it's don't covet. You get it. Uh, don't covet. And so I'm thinking that um, the the Amy lady is like a seamstress. She makes clothes and stuff for people. And Chris is like a famous knight who's come back and he did really good battle stuff over in in the crusade land uh and so so she she wants to make him his ceremonial robe and she's or cloth and he's like okay yeah you can do that but you know royalty is like red or or purple the color purple is for royalty and she doesn't have any of like the finest purple cloth so she tries to mix this like blue cloth and red cloth and like over a white cloth but but then her house floods <laughs> and it's like oh no everything went wrong uh, I mean and, that's pretty devastating in medieval times there's no insurance company no state farm nothing like that but then second second uh, commandment is you know don't give false testimony so then when um when the people show up and they say like, Hey, uh, we really like your, your clothes. Cause maybe he had to like borrow someone else's outfit or I don't, again, this is, I didn't focus on the details like that, but basically he has an outfit, a fancy outfit. And the, the King who's coming to ceremony him is like, Hey, where'd you get that outfit? And he goes, Oh, Amy made it for me. So she's like, he's like giving false testimony he's lying so then she gets hired as the king's 
seamstress, but she doesn't have the money to like make all the things that he needs. So she steals Chris's pendant. Thou shall not steal. She steals the pendant that the king gave him to be like, Amy, you naughty girl. I know, but it's more like a pawn shopping where she's like, okay, hold it for me for a bit. Like, give me a bunch of cash and I'll bring it back to you. Like, you know, wouldn't have Chris have helped her if she just asked? Probably, but that's like the source of all romantic struggles. No, no, very poor communication. Um, and so she has to, she, she, she steals the pendant. And, and therefore, the, the king is like, well, since you don't have this pendant that I gave you, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like sell you off to the royal country next door. And basically, he's like, I'm going to arrange your marriage for you, right? Like, I gave you this pendant. You lost it. So now, again, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's iffy. So then we have adultery. So he admits, uh, Chris admits his feelings for Amy and they sleep together, but then she gets pregnant. So, oh no, medieval pregnant. So she is jailed, right? Because it's like, fuck, fuck women back in medieval times. It's like, no, I was going to use him. Clearly a witch. Right. She was like, no, the king was like, no, I'm going to use him as like a, a royalty guy to create a truce with the country next door. So so he can't have a kid, an illegitimate kid. So they send her to jail and they send him off to war. So now we have thou shall not murder. She ends up killing a guard, right, to like either try to escape or something. But then she gets executed. Like halfway into the movie, she gets executed. Like halfway into the movie, not beautiful, sweet Amy Smart. I know. So then, uh, the Sixth Amendment, honor thou shall always honor the mom and dad thing. They want him to go to war, right? Because they're like, you have to, you have to get our reputation back up there. The royal family, all this, blah blah blah. You have to go back to war. And Chris is like, fuck that. I already went to war once. I'm not going back. I mean, this is like the Crusades. This stuff, this isn't, this is not a romanticized war. This is like a bloody crappy thing. So he runs away and he becomes a mercenary. But then he's killed by his mercenary people and turned in for the reward. So now we're like, what? Both of our main characters are dead. And we still got like half the movie. No country on me. Yeah. So then. The seventh commandment is keep the Sabbath day holy. So, so Chris is going to, um, uh, Amy is going to trick Chris to go to earth on the Sabbath day. And cause they're both angels. Now they're both in heaven. So angel Amy is going to trick angel Chris to go back to earth on Sunday, or is it Sunday or Saturday? Which day is the Sabbath? Technically, I mean Saturday if you're a Jewish. Sure. So, well, whichever day is the Sabbath for for the holy thing, uh, it, uh, it 
Chris goes back to Earth, but apparently in heaven, you can't do that. You can't go to Earth on Sabbath if you're an angel. So he gets barred from reentry. So uh, uh, commandment number eight is don't take the Lord's name in vain. So what Chris does is he accepts a deal from Satan and he damns the Lord and he's given an army of hell demons. And so then... God finds out and God goes like, uh, who, who put this guy in hell? And then he finds out that it was because of Amy's trickery. So he gives Amy an army of angels and says, you better go take care of this and clean up your mess. So then we have a battle in the future between angels and demons. Of course. Of course. Because they have to take time to train their armies and stuff. So then in the future on Earth, Earth is basically all destroyed. And it's Chris and Amy going at it. King of, you know, king of the angels, king of the demons. They're fighting it. Uh, Commandment number nine is no false idols. So one of them summons Cthulhu to destroy the other one. And the other one releases a missile called the god missile and the uh, 10th commandment is no gods before me i think you get that after level 50 in final fantasy right yeah the god missile (laughs) uh and so the god missile is a is a is a missile that's going to go to the sun and disintegrate the core of the sun and the sun will explode and the chain reaction will cause the destruction of the galaxy and so because these two people couldn't follow their Ten Commandments, the entire galaxy gets blown up. And that's the end of the movie. So the moral of the story is if you want to end the world, break every single commandment. That's right. The moral of the story is if you, if you want things to go well, then just communicate with your romantic partner. Honest communication. <laughs> That's what matters. Well, boy, do I have a segue for you. Because if you want to honestly communicate with us, we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And you can email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Please like, follow, subscribe wherever you love listening to podcasts. Uh, perfect, flawless, seamless. I feel like I just landed the triple axle. That was a good uh, one. So now let's get on to one of my favorite bits, love bites. What kind of love bite do you have for us this week? Well, it was just recently Christmas time. And so I know that the PS5 just came out, but I got myself a PS4 so I can I also up. have a PS4. Yeah, it's a great system. I enjoy it. <laughs> um I uh uh so yeah, I ha- I had a bunch of games to catch up on. So I've been playing some of the games that I've been needing to catch up on, but one of the games that I didn't know if I was going to get into or not was Dragon Ball Fighters. And this game is freaking awesome. I've seen people play it, right? Because I like watching 
people play these games. I like watching like the YouTube tournaments, Evo, right? Dragon Ball Fighters is at Evo and stuff. So I like watching the top tier people play it. And it was intimidating because I'm like, damn, these people are really good. But the game is really kind of new user friendly if you're not playing competitively like I'm not. Uh, I'm not a Dragon Ball Z fan. I watched Dragon Ball Z from the beginning to to some of the Cell Saga, but I skipped the Boo Saga, which was towards the end there. And so I just, I really fell off of it. I tried to go back to it. I couldn't do it. I tried Super. I couldn't do it. I, I do not like Dragon Ball Z <laughs> at all. Like, I just can't do it. But I like the character designs. And again, I like the strong characters who have strong personalities. And so to now put them in a fighting game where it's like the entirety of Vegeta is condensed into those little pre-fight, post-fight little one-liners. Like, this is how Dragon Ball Z was meant to be. Like, it was never meant to be an anime that was... I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing, though, right? I don't like the anime, but I like the fighting game because of the characters that have the time to grow in the anime. So it's it's weird, but the story mode is hilarious. It's really funny. Uh and the arcade mode just it's cool to fucking be Vegeta and to kill Frieza. Like you know what I mean? Like he's always the coolest character in my opinion. Yeah, Vegeta. Vegeta always gets shit on. So the first thing I did when I started playing this game was like I'm going to be Vegeta so I can beat up everybody. Um, I, I, I am having a great time with it. It's a fun game. It's really cool. And you get to be, and you get to go super saiyan. Very nice. Dragon Ball fighters. I get it. Dragon Ball fighters. And yeah, I liked, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the fast paced 2d fighters. So like the slower street fighter, not for me, guilty gear, which is from the people who made, uh, who would go on to make dragon ball fighters. Guilty gear is a crazy anime fighter. I like the fast stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so. more of an RPG girl myself. I I have a I I got it for Christmas, but I haven't played it yet. But I have a Dragon Quest, which has a oh, character yeah. design very Toriyama like. So they they look like Dragon Ball characters, but it's in a medieval setting. Yeah, no, we we are the opposite gamers. Give me give me the fast game. Give me the game that's from beginning to end. Seventy Go. hours or more. <laughs> oh. No. I want a four-hour game that I can play 20 times. I don't want an 80-hour game to play once. Yeah, no, I want to play those games that make me say, this is who I am now. (laughs) Uh, How about you? What's your love bite? Well, you know me. I love sticking to a theme. So um, this episode and next episode, I'm going to recommend um, some horror movies that I like. Uh, so on this episode, I will recommend to our listeners a little movie called Frailty. Uh, it's directed by Bill Paxton, starring Bill Paxton, written by Bill Paxton. I don't know if it was written by Bill Paxton, but he, he directed it. He stars in it. Matthew McConaughey is also in it. I think Powers Booth is, is in it too. Uh, And the plot of the movie is Bill Paxton is a single father of two boys. And he believes that he receives a mission from an angel to murder sinners. 
and his older son has reached a point where he can start to think for himself and the younger son just believes the father completely. But this movie is so great because it's about that tension of being at that age where you start to question whether or not your parents actually know what's morally right. Uh, or maybe he's crazy. Wait, uh, we're supposed to question that at some point? <laughs> <laughs> well, do Oops. I have some news for you, Brett? Your mommy and daddy might not always be right about everything. But, you know, normally I hate movies with kid characters. I especially yeah. hate movies and TV shows with kid characters that act like adults. Uh, I think it's really, oh, God, it's so what's the word that I'm even looking for? Pretentious, just indulgent to make a child character who's like an adult. I hate it. But frailty does not do that. These are very much kids who are their age and they're dealing with how scary it is to start to think for yourself. Uh, And it's just, it's a very, it's it's a taut thriller. Very taut. Uh, and it's, it's really stylistically well done. So frailty, uh, and yeah, another movie about relationships. Uh, so, uh, that would be what I would recommend. Very nice. Um, frailty always kind of reminds me of like out of sight, Steven Soderbergh's out of sight in which it's like the JLo movie. Yeah. Where it's like, both of these movies are movies that feel like they should just like on the on the on the face of things, they feel like they should just be knockoffs of other more successful horror movies or action movies or heist movies in out of sight case. And the the DVD slash VHS covers at the time did not it do the movies any favor. Oh no, no, the cover of Frailty does not give you any idea of what it's about because it's like Matthew McConaughey transposed with the skyline. So yeah. it just and and Matthew McConaughey is in the movie, but he's only in the movie to to narrate and provide the frame story. Right. He's not really the bulk of the movie's plot or action. He has a pivotal role, and he does that role very well. Um, but it's not even, the movie's not about him. But like, if you go to Wikipedia on out of sight or frailty and you look at the poster and you read the little log line, you're like, there's no way that this movie could be that good. Right. But both movies are like, no man, both these movies are really good. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I always just remember the, the cover being deceptively bad. Yeah, there are a few movies like that yeah. where the cover really does not represent what the movie is about at all. Uh, there, a cat just crossed <laughs> onto the screen. Hello, cat. <laughs> well, I guess that is it for this week, and we will see you next week when we talk about one of my horror favorites, May. Um, may you have a good day
Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.